Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast, episode something or other. Uh, hello, uh, this is a very that was a very upbeat intro. It sounded really shit. <laughs> um, that was sarcasm, yeah, not the shit bit, the upbeat bit. Um, hello, Johnny and Johnny. We've got the two Johnnies. Hello, what's going on? What's going on? Um, how's it going? How's it going? Yeah. Um, is, was that? I don't know if that's that, is that a Welsh thing, Johnny. This, what how do they say in Welsh? Like, how's it going? How's it going? What's going on? What's happening? Same as same as normal people. Yeah, what's happening is very is very common, isn't it? What's happening? What's happening, bad? What's happening? What's happening, bad? What's happening, bad? A but is a very depends where you are in Wales. But of, yeah, it does comes into play just after put all but and then carries on above valleys out. Oh, but there's a bit in Swansea. It's like sand, you know, pop and musher. Sand from like the rough areas, like Penland and all that. Or if you, if you looked at the news a few months before Christmas, Mayhill, when they just rioted and threw cars down the hill. So. Hmm. Sounds delightful. There you go. Welsh geography and slang. Well, I've only ever been to South Wales. I've never been to. So I've been around the Cardiff area, but that's about it. They speak a little bit different to where I'm from. Only what, the, not what, the Cardiff area? Yeah. The Cardiff area is... The one I have the most experience with. That's where I went to, did my masters. Cardiff's a good, it's a, it's a nice city. Cardiff. Mm. Hmm. Towards full of pedos. It's funny how I only ever remember. <laughs> it's funny how I only ever remember uh, cities based on their burger restaurants. And I remember going to, I think it was the Cow Shed in Cardiff. It's called the Cow Shed. Yeah. And the thing I remember most about is the burger and chips and stuff were pretty good. But uh, they had diet, Bakewell tart flavour, Coca Cola. Oh, right. Which I thought was that was actually fantastic, really, really good. So that's a major highlight: Bakewell tart flavored Coke. Did you enjoy the nightlife? I didn't really go out, Johnny. If I'm honest, um, that was on a on a, on a on a corporate space on a corporate level. So I was kind of on my own and didn't really venture into seeing too much of the nightlife. I'm not going to lie. So you were eating a burger on your own, basically. Yeah, like a little lo- lonesome. It's all right. I get used to it. I quite, I'm, I'm quite introverted, so I quite like my own time. I quite like that as well, too. Yeah. I don't mind doing things on my own, like that. Yeah. I work and whatever. I don't mind doing stuff on my own. I, I actually think it's a bit of a shame for the listeners to not be able to see our setting, our little cafe we're sitting in on Skype. Yes. Yeah. For anyone who uses the new version of Skype, then check out the, what is it? Is this the Together View? Yeah, the Together mm. View cafe setting. It's very quaint. Uh, I would say we're probably the only people that use Skype. Yeah, and maybe yeah. there's a couple others, so there aren't going to be many people that's experienced it. No. I do think it's also better than the Teams Together views because the Teams one, and I know this is slightly uh, off-pissed for a nutrition podcast, but hey, um, the Teams version of the Together mode or whatever it's called is uh, a bit crap. It's just basically like a cinema or gallery type seat, which isn't doesn't particularly interest yeah. me, whereas this little coffee shop looks very quaint and certainly the sort of place that I would go if I was to uh, to visit a type of coffee shop. Yeah. It's a I bit... didn't realise that Skype and Teams still had separate platforms to, to really take this another level of geek. I thought that it was just all Teams. But hmm. there we go. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, 
I don't actually know. No, uh, we are going up a level geek. Skype, isn't it by Cisco? Have I made that up? As in, no, because if you if you look in the bottom right corner of this little video, it just says it does say copyright twenty twenty one Skype and or Microsoft. Does so it? I thought they very much were the same thing. Did not know that. Okay. Maybe well, your listeners can help. For any any expert listeners in the IT uh, industry, then please reach out and let us know. We would love to know this. <laughs> answer to this mysterious question literally baffling us all <laughs> oh well mate, perhaps we should say to listeners uh, Johnny when was the last time you were on the podcast we know this because we spoke beforehand but I thought listeners might be interested yeah so the last time I was on the podcast was back in 2017 wow that's a mm. long time yeah a very long time five years in know. fact if, uh, if my maths doesn't fail me it was it was very much the back end of 2017 so we'd, we'd be fair yeah. in saying like four and a half years but yeah it's 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 still a long time it's still a, it feels weird to look at that back that far yeah the younger joy it absolutely does in fact we sometimes worry or not worry uh wonder ourselves how we've managed to keep the podcast going for this long yeah it's a feat that's impressive i, th- I think we must be Obviously, there are the, the Sigmas and the odd nutrition podcast, I guess, that's out before us, but we must be one of the longest running, even still not the, the you know, probably haven't quite got the, the audience we might deserve for such commitment that we're doing week in, week out doing this stuff. But um, as in, we don't have millions and millions of listeners, a la Joe Rogan. But still, you know, we're quite, we're quite happy that we carry on, aren't we, Johnny? Yeah, I can't believe it's actually been five years. It's quite mad. Yeah. You should look back at your first ever episode, actually, yeah, on your stats, see what the dates was. You should have a little celebration. I did. Uh, I actually listened to one of our earlier episodes not so long back because a client of mine, Kerry, um, shout out to Kerry, uh, she absolutely loves James Smith. And um, oh, yeah. back in the day when James joined uh, Matt Nutrition, um, or should yes. I say the nutrition course that shall, shall not be named, um, even though I just named them. Um, yeah, he... Um, when he when he obviously joined that, we got him on our podcast, and I think we were the first podcast he ever went on. And uh, so I oh, told right, I yeah. told I told her about to go back and listen. And I must admit, going back and listening, I think oh, um, I'd like to think we've come a long way and a bit more comfortable speaking on on microphone than perhaps back then. But we're probably uh, still just as shit. Let's be fair. All, yeah, we all start somewhere, don't we? I mean, I used to do my like little solo episodes of just like the speaker of my phone and I listened back to our episodes and I was like walking through the city centre doing it thinking that was me being efficient and was like man that's the worst audio quality I've ever heard well, <laughs> I think that was a good idea I will, so, I will say solo episodes we've done I've done a couple anyway and um, they are not easy they're very 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 yeah. difficult because um, obviously I guess you get that one take wonder type feel where I can't mess this up because if I do I'm going to sound really really stupid <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my um, I, I used to write mine out pretty specifically in terms of topics I was doing and any anything I wanted to specifically say in bullet points. And now, because of the content kind of changing over time, I, I do do that still, to, depending on what I'm talking about. But a lot of it's very much, you know, mindset or motivational, just something I've spoken about already a hundred times before. It requires far less, far less writing down, but. And also, if I mess up, it's also a bit like, well, I do these in one take, and it's kind of become a characteristic of the episode. So, and they're very short, so it's not like I'm doing a thirty to forty minutes solo. That would be really, really hard. Mm. Yeah, no, I've I've done a couple. I think I did one on caffeine once for a. Um, there was a request from a client, and um, we had no other hosts available. Johnny had obviously gone off on some holiday or something in the Maldives or somewhere really fancy. Oh yeah. <laughs> 
oh yeah um no joke's probably more like going down going down the road in port toilet and is that what's called port toilet port 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 toilet it is a fucking toilet i thought that was what it's called port toilet <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah, and I must admit, it was only about twenty minutes, and I found it incredibly hard, really, really hard, yeah. to just talk, just to talk about caffeine and um, it's, I guess, how it works and its ergogenic uses and what what and other stuff, and yeah, really, really tough. But I bet though, you became so sure about your knowledge around caffeine though for doing the prep and then the recording of the episode. That's what I find great about recording podcasts. Is if you do it actually about real information. You, you become so much better at synthesizing and re- retaining that info than ever before. And I think that's really cool. There's, def- there's definitely an element of that. I, I think like anything, I think if you can learn to teach, that's when you know you know the stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you I, can make it simple. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, I don't know if you want to give a bit of background about yourself again, mate, uh, in terms of those that have forgotten that you're on before for our regular listeners or um, people that don't know you firsthand. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not very known at all. So uh, my name's Johnny Lundells. Uh, I'm a nutritionist, um, and I own a company called Next Step Nutrition. We work with uh, a range of people, but mostly people who are like who they'd call chronic or serial dieters, yo-yo dieters, that kind of people who really struggle to to drop drop fat or keep it off for the long term because of their uh, disordered eating or poor relationships with food. And so I work primarily with people building up better relationships with food, building um, sort of more regular eating patterns, um, using a combination of like behavior change, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, and more skills and action type practices as opposed to anything external in terms of regulation. And I've been doing this for five years now, or more, five and a half years. Uh, And other than that, I enjoy sport, long walks on the beach, dogs, good coffee, uh, and I'm also an amateur musical theatre enthusiast. So there I was, you go. I was about to say I'm the odd musical. Yeah, I'm in, in two at the moment, so my life is pretty manic. Yeah, I bet because lots of rehearsals. But yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. How many people at uh, theatre do you get asking for help <laughs> on nutrition? Not uh, not as many as you'd think, actually, and. It's actually not bad because I've had a few people from those things who have been clients um, and, and only very recently there's been one lad in one of the shows that's like, I need to come and talk to you about my diet. And I'm like, honestly, mate, you, 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 you probably don't. I'm sure you're right. And he's like, no, 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 I definitely want to have a chat with you and have a sit down and stuff. I was like, cool, man, you know, I'm, I'm here whenever. But luckily, I think because of the amount of content I put out on stuff, people don't really like I, I'm, I'm really glad I, I kind of avoid those generic questions of like, "Ooh, is this all right? Should I be in this?" Or like, "Ooh, should you be eating that?" Like, I, I'm really glad that those kind of questions don't really happen anymore because there was a period of time when they happened a lot. Mm. Yeah, I don't get any at my uh, main job. Uh, in I think I started to get a few in jujitsu after I kind of started, and then a few of the guys started following on Instagram and stuff and then they realised that obviously I put out a lot of nutrition content and they start asking questions when I get to the gym and stuff. Like someone was asking about BCAAs the other day and you just don't want to get into mm-hmm. the conversation about it because there's no good outcome. So you're just going to sound no. like a toss pot or, uh, you know, or you're just going to lie to them, <laughs> basically. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's not an easy uh, thing. Are you a higher belt than you? Right. Yes, yes. At least if Every, they were Everyone is, Johnny. Listen to me, I'm going to bang you in an armbar. If they're big, if they're better, they will. 
you haven't got that angle anymore, you? No, I quite, actually quite like that idea. Also, I was going to say I quite like that idea. Next time he gets me in some sort of like any any type of body lock uh, or you know a rear naked choke or something, I might just try and whisper in his ear. BCAAs aren't real. They don't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> BCAAs are useless. <laughs> just yeah. see, just see if um, see if that gets me out of the hole. <laughs> yeah, psych. Yeah. Um, okay, go, going to your like so obviously you mentioned there around kind of your current content and some of the. I guess types of individuals and stuff you want to work with. Obviously, it wasn't always the way. Mm. Obviously, last time no. we had you on the podcast, there was a lot of talk around your journey from, um, I guess, CrossFit, paleo, bro type thing to, I guess, the more evidence based realm. Let's just call it that for want of any other phrase. So, and I guess that yeah. feels like the content you put on has had a, a, a much larger or, or kind of faster evolution again since. So, do you want to talk through a bit what that kind of why that is and kind of where it used to be to what it is a bit more now? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, because the last time I came on in, in 2017, I was very much working with CrossFitters and was myself a sort of pseudo, very average competitive CrossFitter. And I'd, I'd grown up through the diet myths and all that. And in, in CrossFit, there was very much a clean eating slash paleo vibe. And when I'd found flexible dieting and if it fits your macros, that was very much my escape route. And then doing um, you know the course that shall not be named and discovering a lot more about evidence-based nutrition and, and very tracking focused I'd say my mantra was very much a case of wow you know like if it fits your macros we'll set the population free we'll like this is the way forward this is the way the truth and the life um, we must all do this and that was very much my my game plan and as I progressed through my life as a nutritionist and I also and also progressed through my life as a person I started to realize that I, I, I liked what I was doing, but I, I got into nutrition coaching to help a different type of people. Like with CrossFitters, I was very much helping people who were already in good shape, get in even better shape. And I got into the nutrition coaching world because I wanted to help the people who really struggled with food. Either they were overweight or they'd always struggled with the same type of body fat on them. And they had really poor relationships with food and really sort of disordered eating habits. And funnily enough, Brett and, and Johnny, like when I was tracking tracking was almost like my reins they were like my control reins and when I didn't have tracking calories to fall back on I still realized that I had some pretty shitty food habits and I still had some pretty pretty poor relationships with food in that I was very much always focused on diet food it was like it had to be low fat or it had to be high protein or it had to be low calorie halo top and whenever I was in an environment where it was a higher calorie food like pizza or real ice cream or whatever that would be a case for me to overeat because it's like well it's going to be impossible for me to stick to my macros. So I'll just overeat. Or if I wasn't tracking macros, it'd be like, I have no idea how much I'm eating. Like I'm, you know, am I eating enough? Am I eating too much? I'm eating too little. I, I have no real, you know, basis of my hunger and appetite cues. And as I shifted my, my, my work towards these people with more disordered eating habits and, and more poor relationships with food, I found more and more that macros was not a viable option for a lot of them. And, and was also not working for a lot of them. And we can talk about people's adherence and things and, and all the rest of it. But I was I was just thinking, well, actually, a lot of these people are maybe doing it for a bit of time and then sabotaging themselves or they're not really doing it or they're just not, not getting along with it at all. And I, I found that a real weakness in my toolbox as a coach. And it I went through a real sort of loss in confidence a couple of years ago with it because I was like, man, you know, like I'm really struggling with my relationship with food. The pandemic was in sort of full swing. 
I, I wasn't getting sort of as good a client results as I would like to. And, and I was just thinking that, man, I'm, I'm really missing something here in my toolbox. And then uh, another big nutrition company was talking about their level two credential, which they were rebranding as like a master health certification, which is now what it's called and how they were talking about behavior change and cognitive behavioral therapy. And they were talking about internal regulation of food and hunger cues. And, and they were talking, you know, they weren't anti-diet, but they were very much a case of anti-external control. And it's like, let's teach your clients how to regulate themselves and understand why they might have limiting beliefs or sabotaging behaviors and, and help them rewrite the stories in their head. And it, it was very mindset and behavior based as well as habits and skills around food and eating. So I enrolled into that course. And as I did that course, I discovered so much about my own habits and, and changed a lot about my own relationship with food that that's very much where my contents got taken towards as well. So I found myself much more against any kind of external control uh, for my audience in particular. I'm not saying that they don't work, but for my audience in particular and for people who have disordered eating habits, if you apply more external control, it just it's just another rule. It's just another rigid plan that they will inevitably rebel against. And so for me, it's a case of helping them build an internal regulation for their food intake while also building a better mindset around their food and exercise habits as well. So they're less all or nothing, less sabotage. And, and, and that's kind of why my content's taken that turn, really. Do, do you use any type of, I guess, external control there now in terms of any type of macro tracking or... I don't know, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, even could you could you even count food food rules of any sorts as as an external control? Like, do you use any of that type of stuff or um it's a good question because there, there are a few clients of mine who because again, because I used to be very big in the CrossFit space, I, I do still have some clients who are people who want to get better at that. And 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 some of them are just like, I, I you know, I just like tracking. So I'm like, okay, fine. You know, if we're if you're able to to do it and stay flexible and not sabotage and all the rest of it. And I, I keep a, a, a close eye on that. And actually I do try to work most people away from that eventually. Other than that, apart from like food rules, what I'd say is that we work more on like maybe skills. So we might, we might talk to people about the aspect of a balanced plate, a balanced meal or have a guideline of like eating every three to five hours. But that guideline is in line with, we want you to be like thinking about your hunger cues and the balance plate idea is a case of, okay, on the majority of the time, this is what a balanced meal looks like. But we, we're also very big on that framework of unconditional permission to eat because when you explore that framework and really start to understand what it means, it's not about just eating everything all the time. It's about removing those rules around what food is good or bad. Like we, we all know what food are more nutrient dense than others. But if you still have those labels of good versus bad, at people subconsciously when they go on any diet they restrict those things and so it's like it, it in that restriction actually over time they'll eventually sabotage themselves because they're feeling restricted so we we do use guidelines but any kind of external meal plan or tracking i, I do try to stay stay quite clear from that's interesting yeah um I like. I mean, certainly, though you talked about earlier about your own personal values change, and I can absolutely align in, in kind of 
uh, mirror that type of thing. And I, I guess, I mean, similar view from my perspective in terms of what I use my clients. I'm, I'm not anti-tracking, but I think very much what you've just said of that, anyone that I have used any kind of more external type um, rigid cues or whatever you want to call them, I've always kind of got one mind in somewhere down the line that they those stabilizers could do with being taken off. Um, mm. Yeah, it's, it's good to you talk about that actually because it's quite interesting in terms of whether there's something that you're kind of completely against or whether it's something you think is a, a useful tool but perhaps not something for the longer term. And I guess it is that individualized or customized type approach that you inevitably want to be having with clients too, isn't it? So. Yeah, yeah, because you know tracking is it definitely has its um, place with people's education. I think for the right person, because again, like I've, I've seen some people talk about oh, how tracking calories and macros is the single best way to educate your clients on food, and it's like, well, it, actually, it, it doesn't have to be. Like, okay, it might be really quick because everything's online and database driven, but you could have the same effect if you were teaching your clients how to read food labels. And having them write down a written journal and then maybe alongside that written journal you're getting them also to document their hunger cues and also the way they feel after eating certain meals because then you're really starting to get them to think about not just the the calories and the proteins and stuff that are in the foods they're eating but also how the, that food is making them feel from an energy perspective or how full are they being or, and how slowly are they eating that meal or how distraction free and you you then get them to be much more mindful about their food intake where tracking and having a calorie target can feel very much a mindless act actually. And I did find that with a lot of people, they might eat to hit their calories, even if they're not hungry or if they are hungry, they're like, well, I, I can't eat over my calories because I'm not in a deficit anymore. And you kind of avoid that day-to-day -day natural fluctuation that will happen as people's energy outputs change day to day. Oh, diaries are definitely underrated. I would say I, I can count, well, countless clients who've gone, I've had a bad week this week. I don't know what's happened. And they go, right, next time now, write everything down, positives, negatives. And they, then the next thing, go, oh, I'd realise what happened last week. Now it was blah, 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 because they'd yeah. written down this this week. And it's surprising how much they learn from themselves. So actually, I find I actually stress eat. Because every yes. time I eaten, I was whatever, work, kids, whatever, stressed. Mm -hmm. and you, can, you can manage that with them and they simply because they've written things down and it's yes really simple and but that's so, what's so powerful about handwritten anything is is how mindful that is and, and how it can record you know you can bring so, so much more awareness to a situation and that that was what i loved about this this course that i did and i'm kind of doing it again as well because they rejigged the info a bit presenting it in a new way offered it out to people for free again so i was like why not but there's a lot of handwritten journaling there either in terms of food journals but also just for certain things so there's one sheet called the behavior awareness sheet which is that exact thing johnny about if they have an event where they might overeat or they're not happy with their eating i know our clients will call it like bad eating i tried to reframe things to say like okay maybe it was eating not in line with your goals and values at the time as opposed to bad from a from a moral sense and it's, it can really help them to say all oh, right yeah okay i know that i overate these foods at this time because actually three hours ago I had a really shitty call from my boss and then I got really stressed about a work deadline and then before I knew it I was just uh, you know that it didn't happen then but then a, you know a, a cascade of things happened that they found themselves overeating at night and then like it was probably because I felt so stressed at that afternoon and then you can start talking to them about maybe 
different scenarios of how can we there's nothing wrong maybe with emotional eating from a mindful point of view like when you know you're doing it and you do so in control but we also need other ways to process our emotions as well and what does that look like for different clients maybe it's walking or reading or listening to music or doing a hobby or journaling or, or anything and the more you can explore those things with clients and give them more tools in their toolbox the less they then rely on food I mean, what what types of clients do you tend to get towards or, or kind of approach you, I suppose? Are they still very much, I think you did say most of, I guess, people that are looking to still lose weight? Or, mm. and I guess that's kind of a bit of a leading question because I kind of want to always ask what your thoughts are around the intentional weight loss type um, yeah. pursuits that people have and, and kind of how you manage them against your values and I guess the kind of the way your business has gone. Mm. It's a really good question because I'm not I'm not against intentional weight loss, and the more that I've, it's it's really difficult, right? Isn't there? Because there's definitely there's definitely great aspects of of the Hayes approach that I can get on board with in terms of and and for listeners, health at every size, I can get on board with the idea of BMI being an outdated measure, and 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 it's funny that in MNU we were taught about how weak a data point is of association and how to scrupulate it yet we didn't go through how the bmi is associated with negative health concerns and how that's not then that that doesn't mean causation does it just because it's associated like i i have an overweight bmi and we can take me out because of my muscle mass but even for people who are in larger bodies who are very very active and eat actually a wide variety of foods they are probably very you know metabolically very healthy but their BMI is higher. So it's I can get on board with that. And I do think there's obviously extremes of that approach, just like there's extremes with anything. But if someone wants to intentionally lose body fat, the way that I approach my clientele now is I've got nothing wrong with people wanting to intentionally change their bodies or, or lose body fat. But I do work with them to cultivate a good body image now, a good amount of self-compassion now. And, and also we're just very, very hot on what we're dictating as progress in terms of the scale and and measurements and things like that because of how fickle those things can be and how dieters really place all of their success on external outcomes it becomes much more a case of if we're doing better skills and better habits and you're exercising more i find that with a lot of my clients i'm like right instead of focusing on the, the number and the scale let's work on these eating skills that we're working on because a lot of people only overeat because they eat way past fullness at meal times and they they stress or boredom snack and then that's what's jumping up their calories um but i'm like if we focus on just our eating skills and then we focus on getting you an exercise program that you really really enjoy and getting you really focused on improving your activity and sleeping better and all the things i find that the calorie input takes care of itself and they will start to see changes physically that they're happy with and they're less obsessed then with seeing the number on the scale go down which is what i think trips a lot of people up yeah, yeah, that's, um, I guess that idea or that almost, I guess you could call it a bit of a panacea, but the idea that people's energy intakes will sort out themselves is something that people tend to just not believe is possible or just doesn't think, I guess, you know, we've been, I think Johnny, we've, we've been guilty of this before on the podcast saying some of the early episodes like, oh, well, intuitive eating doesn't work, that's why everyone's overweight type thing. And I don't think we were ever quite as ignorant in, in saying it as that way, but I think we did do an episode in a similar vein in that, we can understand a lot of the principles of intuitive eating, but rather than saying it didn't work, saying obviously it's a really difficult thing, I should say. Yeah. And perhaps that's probably still reasonably true. 
that mm-hmm. you know, following the, the true intuitive principles, you know, the 10 principles of intuitive eating, which again is obviously not supposed to be aligned with any intentional weight loss stuff, but no, it's not. No, but I guess like taking some of those aspects of it that like, can still apply to someone that is seeking intentional weight loss, even from the kind of mindful eating aspect. I think you can take some of that stuff. It's yeah. just getting people to believe that or have that trust in the process that actually a lot of these things, okay, may not be a perfect panacea, but can help in mm. kind of the weight loss journey can help in the fact that the energy intake might you know as you just said kind of start to take care of itself a bit uh, it's interesting you say in a in a way they i can't remember what words you just used but you said obviously it's st- like you know they might start to see some results um in a way they they, they they yeah in a way they enjoy or way they like i can't remember what words you use so i'm trying to recall but it's something on the lines that obviously i guess they're still they you know they might still be happy with the results they get if that makes sense, even if they weren't potentially the results that they wanted from the outset. If, I don't know if that's what you meant or if I misinterpreted it. But. Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, because everyone comes in, they're like, I just want to lose weight. And you're like, well, well, why? Like, what? what's the... And it's not actually this, the number on the scale, is it? It's the fact that they they maybe want a slightly smaller body, they want some some body fat loss, or they want more confidence or more energy or more... Um, they just want to they want to feel better about themselves and funnily enough i think if you work on people's mindset and their relationship with food and themselves they start to feel a lot better about themselves because they don't feel scared about food and they don't feel nervous about going out to eat anymore and and they don't feel like they always have to constantly be on a diet and i think you're right brett and you know as a younger nutritionist i would have also laughed at the intuitive eating framework and said well it clearly doesn't work because we've all tried eating intuitively but when you read the book and and the book's in its fourth edition now because they've done quite a lot of uh they've used intuitive eating in quite a lot of research studies which they then bring about in the book which is pretty cool i thought and intuitive eating is about is, is about returning to like our toddler phase where we could definitely just manage our intake without any external pressure like we ate when we needed to and we stopped when we didn't need to and that's what this book is all about and i find that if we apply the mindful eating premise of the okay, let's eat without distraction, let's eat slowly, let's be really attuned to actually when we've had enough food or not and play around with stopping sooner than we think because we've probably been used to overeating because we've just been used to finishing our plate or serving a portion and just having it all in front of a TV or whatever. If you then apply that to the other principles of anti-diet mentality and you know challenging the food police and honouring health with you know, gentle nutrition and, and my, you know, um, movement that you enjoy, you find that people respond really, really well to that. So you don't necessarily need to take an anti fat loss, uh, perspective, but it is very much an anti diet perspective. It's not a case if we're not doing some rigid diet that you're going to, you're going to eventually rebel against. Uh, And what I found interesting about the book, reading it in full was the way that they quoted the Minnesota starvation study. Because we obviously learned about that study in MNU. And the way that we learned about that study was how it was clearly evidence against starvation mode. But the way that they interpret the results is evidence for it, which I found really interesting. Because when you think about the results, yes, okay, they, they did all lose dramatic amounts of weight because of their low calories. But all of their, their basal metabolic rates were severely affected because their neat slowed down. And do you remember the, the lecture we learned about it where they were talking about the men just basically like trying to like find the edges of the pavement where they could get down yeah. rather than stepping down off the pavement. So their movements slowed down so much and they were 
trying to binge uncontrollably out of bins and things like that because of how hungry they were and and their energy outputs just massively massively dropped but when they followed up with those men most of those men still had really disordered relationships with food where they would overeat massively at meal times and lowered basal metabolic rates so it's like is starvation more real like it started to really make make me question my biases about the effects of diets on people and whether do people who do diet after diet after diet of, of really because there is the diet break research isn't there about trying to restore people's met- metabolism so what if all of these people who are 30s 40s and 50s who are my clients who have done diet after diet after diet what if their metabolisms are actually just massively mm. knackered from years of under eating yeah. and over exercising that that is an interesting i guess you call it a hypothesis um i think there's probably some literature in that area which i can't say i'm my favorite so i'm not going to start being able to talk about it in any um, no. authority i remember lane norton came out with some stuff about obviously i guess that was his um uh what you call it um oh it's kind of re- not the recovery diet obviously that the 3dmj guys have kind of popularized but his kind of recovery diet i can't remember what term he used now whether it was the recovery diet but obviously he was talking about slowly um incorporating small amounts of food carbohydrates or whatever to kind of recover or reverse I suppose the reverse diet i suppose is actually probably recorded, is it? Yeah. yeah yeah so yeah sorry yeah probably that's just my back to mind probably is what he termed it but and obviously that idea is almost what you've just explained there in this i remember watching a video years ago about where he explained what he termed as like a bit of a, a fat fat gain overshoot or something in terms of that idea of people yo-yo diet almost suppress their metabolisms to a point where obviously they are in air quotes damaged and then they kind of binge and consume so many calories that they kind of put on more body fat than they would have mm-hmm. expected to otherwise, which kind of creates yeah. this overshoot where they then try to diet again with an already broken metabolism and blah, blah, blah. Now, yeah. I think obviously there's been a lot of pushback in the evidence base there from from when he did that in terms of it isn't quite as he explained it. And I think he's kind of openly said that actually kind of got it wrong. But I do, mm-hmm. I do think purely from an anecdotal perspective and I guess my own personal views on people that I've ever worked with sometimes or even people like friends and family, I wonder mm. whether there is still something to that because, you know, you do, do well. you do see people struggle time and time again. I guess like, you know, the obvious explanation is, well, actually it's not anything to do with a broken metabolism. It's more to do with their behaviours and habits. Perhaps, but I don't know. Like I said, it is an interesting point and it isn't something that I haven't thought of exactly in that way. Yeah. And I think... I think in terms of metabolism, okay, maybe not like maybe the RMR wasn't massively lowered, although that's an interesting point because I've had I've had clients who have had years of dieting experience then go for RMR testing and, and it be lower than predicted and how accurate those tests are obviously mm. is by the by, like mm. all of these things are just guesses, aren't they? But you, you, you have got I, I, I suppose you've got the biggest losers study and that type of thing about where yeah. there's there's the five, ten percent margin of potentially reduced metabolism based on that type of stuff so i guess you can you are you are expected to see something i i don't know if i'm sorry if i cut you off on what the point you're going to make but i think the the bit around starvation and broken metabolism is i think i I actually think there's there is something to it in you know because obviously the, even that biggest loser study supports that to a certain extent i mean yeah. so start, starvation study, like you said supports it to a certain extent i guess it's the yeah. how it's described and how it's put across but yeah, and how it's taken on board. But the, the biggest loser study is interesting as well because despite them doing all of that work with trainers, all of them lost severe amounts of muscle mass as well. And they talk about that in the intuitive eating book about that loss of muscle mass will definitely contribute as well because we know how important muscle mass is then to overall metabolic rate. 
and they talk about them developing you know muscle tissue and things for a, for a great sportive but yeah you know Brett like even even for me personally I think every time I've done a, a diet that was quite strict or even tracking macros like if I've done a diet for an extended period of time I've rebounded against that and okay yeah my habits wouldn't have been great in the rebound but that's part of it it's not just the I'm not saying my metabolism was damaged because it probably wasn't but because people do this diet that's so controlling for them where because it might not be controlling for someone else but it might be controlling for them they then rebel against that so badly when they stop doing it that they are just massively overeating for an extended period of time and then yeah they have that big body fat overshoot and then their reaction is sheer disgust bloody hell i need to do another diet and then just the cycle begins again and that's why people's average body weight goes up and up and up yeah totally agree i think the go back to starvation mode stuff i guess the emotional mental psychological side of it often doesn't get talked about about where you know people were doing crazy shit just to even get out of the study because it was so difficult i remember like one dude dropped one dude dropped a car in his hand or something didn't he which obviously led to his fingers being taken off or something didn't he just because he didn't want to do the um carry on with the study because it was so like difficult so you know if if people's mindsets get into that sort of place in terms of severe aggressive or heavy dieting if that if that's kind of like the the position or the experience that people kind of uh, go to in, in that area it does make you wonder whether dieting is ever a good thing um, I, know, I know we're talking extremes aren't we but yeah we are but it but it's a good point and that, that that's why i said m- many of my clients they know they've been calorie counting before they've done other diets before they know what's in food you know they're they're probably the more well read about nutrition than their smaller bodied counterparts and it's not about their lack of knowledge that has them in their the body that they want to change. It's the fact that they have this really poor relationship with food and they overeat at main meals and they eat, they snack when they're not hungry and and all the rest of these things. And it's when you start to take those things away, their calorie intake will drop. But they're not they're not intentionally counting calories and thinking, oh my God, I'm in a deficit and fuck my life, you know diet language it's a case of well we've we're bringing them into a more in line with where their body needs them to be and then over time that will produce change it might not be as quick as they might like but it will happen and that's pretty cool so most people who try to diet for a significant period, they do understand eventually what foods are higher calories and what foods are not they? yeah it's just not about like say the track you know the car which is obviously about the psychology if someone can crack that code be a trillionaire use a pill that'll sort all your psych your psychological issues out with food we all sorted trillionaire that's the that, that that's the harder thing isn't it johnny that it the the work that's required is actually really like hard it's hard like trying to you, you I, I had a client consultation the other day where he was like, I just think, I feel like every food decision I'm having is actually feeling like really effortful at the minute. And I said, that's normal because we're working on almost building new new patterns of behavior because he's used to just falling into line with, with his usual meals and snacks. And actually he's now saying, ah, oh, am I hungry? Am I thirsty? Am I bored? Am I stressed? Or is it something else? And uh, if it is one of those things do I want to indulge in this craving but do so mindfully or do I want to do something else and there's all of this like decision tree that he goes through every time 
And I said, that, that's totally normal and it will get easier. But that's why this is difficult because it's it's literally very difficult. Yeah, I think um, like the point Johnny just made there in that it doesn't take very long to work with somebody for them to either be even reassured, let alone like, teach them. Because I guess a lot of people already know what are so-called, in air quotes, like healthful foods or good foods for their goals, that type of stuff. Um, mm. They kind of know the best part is they should be eating more fruits, vegetables, kind of lean proteins and eating less Snickers bars and cinnamon buns. Something. Like everyone knows that. It's not, it's, you know, as a nutritionist, you're not really employed to tell people that shit because let's be honest, it is something they know. A lot of people think, oh, it's the accountability I need. And to be honest, even that isn't enough. Um, no. It is more that, for, and this, this is why my values and you know kind of aligns with the story that you've you've kind of told about yourself. They have changed so much because I just realized working with more and more people that pretty much predominantly almost exclusively everybody is in that position where they just don't make good decisions because of and it is a combination of stuff I don't think it's quite as easy as food relationships and kind of like body image type drivers because obviously there's definitely a um evolutionary like food reward type influence and lots of other stuff mm. there's obviously food marketing food environments all of the the kind of the other effects so i guess there's so many different factors it's, it's difficult to say oh this is the one thing that's going to be doing it but i do think a big big problem is people's just attitudes and relationships to food and i think like mm. johnny said if there was a pill that could fix that side it would make a massive um impact in in kind of like the, the obesity epidemic that we're suffering at the moment yeah yeah it would uh, I find it fascinating looking at cultural approaches to food because I think that has such a, you were mentioning food environment and all the rest of it. And I think it has such a big, uh, a big importance. Like you look at maybe a more European country like France where, okay, I think, I think France is becoming a bit more UK like within their food um, and their, their average sizes is going up, but a lot of them are very much, you know, France and Europe, they're not food focused at all, are they? Like, like they are in that they love their food, but it's not like what they all talk about. They're not like all constantly on diets and things like that. And actually, if you were to look at the average French person eat who's quite slim, you might think, oh, that doesn't look like a very healthful way of eating. But actually, they're enjoying food the way they've always been taught to. You know, they're enjoying the pleasure of food. and They're embracing what they're wanting at that time. And they realize that over the course of like a week or a month or a year, their food will be that varied they will get the nutrients that they need and they have much healthier body weights as a consequence of that whereas people in our country and in the us we're so focused on like well, what's the best way for us to lose weight because we're so large that actually everyone's just mucking it up because we're becoming so health focused it's almost becoming obsessive and that whole like oh well we need to tax sugar so that people eat less of it it's like well actually you're just you're giving that an even worse label which will make it then even more attractive to people to overeat because like, oh, i shouldn't be eating this because it's bad but oh my god it tastes so good mm. uh, the, the sugar testing was interesting because i must admit i had my mind blown a little bit uh, by um sophie medlin and um jenny riseborough uh on i think it was possibly in the fitness unfiltered podcast but they talked around how i guess some of these kind of more um global guideline type approaches or kind of governmental led stuff i guess like the idea of the sugar tax as an example was kind of to, re to basically encourage reformulation rather than obviously to stop people buying sugar-laden drinks and i asked them i thought i never thought of it like that as in mm. kind of actually yeah i guess they're actually trying to tackle it at the, the kind of manufacturing source almost to stop 
but I, and I, whether I don't know what sort of impact it really has. But I must admit, it did make mm -hmm. me think about it in a different way than I, than I ever had before. I thought, oh, actually, yeah, it's quite clever. Um, as as in, yeah. like, obviously, if they're if if you're taxing a manufacturer, they've either got to reduce their profit lines on sugar based stuff, or they've got to obviously increase the price, which should, in theory, reduce sales. And obviously, mm -hmm. I guess what it probably the idea is to just make people go actually we'll just reformulate and reduce the sugar content so that actually people can't even buy it in the first place because obviously it's, for us it's more profitable to do it that way. I mean, I still struggle, to be honest, yeah. to find a reason why anyone ever wants to buy full sugar stuff nowadays because I just genuinely don't believe the taste is that different. Yeah, or better. Or Yeah, or even better in some occasions, yeah. So I just, yeah. I, you know, that, I, that is, it's a, a bit of a struggle, but hey. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I was going to just say, um, what, I mean, what, do you do for some of your clients and when they when they're inevitably or or if they do kind of notice that they have kind of stronger uh i don't know if the words weakness but i guess issues with kind of body related issues or kind of the food related stuff have you got any kind of techniques practices or stuff that you kind of try to input with people that you want to talk about or what kind of what would your approach generally be um i mean one of the things is that a lot of my approach is very consultation heavy so we we get on video calls like this not sat in such a delightful cafe like we are now just your standard kind of one 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 to one zoom no cinnamon buns no cinnamon buns or cinnamon buns pot, yeah, i wonder why that was in your head um <laughs> or, or posh coffee but and and then you're able to talk to people about where these these things come from because a lot of the time i think if you could talk to people about their relationship with food and their body about where that's come from like the messages they may have had from their parents or from school friends or growing up or even in adult lives, you know, the, the diets and stuff they've been on, the more that they can become aware of where these things have originated, the more they can start to think about their thought patterns and start to really challenge them. And it's then, it's embracing that, um, that idea. And there is a CBT sheet called the thought record sheet, which I give to my clients, which is a, a six column sheet about any kind of problematic thought they might have about food or their body. And then how how much they feel that in terms of like a percentage whereabouts they're feeling that if they're feeling it as a physical sensation, and then they get to uh, describe whether it's helpful or harmful to them, and then what an alternative view might be, like what they might say to a friend in a similar situation, or, or you know what an, a different reframe. And I do talk to my clients about reframing negative self talk and negative words and reframing their mindset as well, because a lot of people can be very fixed about their relationship with food. Or I'll always be an all or nothing person or I'll always be someone who eats a whole packet of biscuits and it it's 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 good to catch them in that language and ask why do you why do you believe that and is there a way that you can adopt a growth mindset about being someone who can have just one square of dairy milk if that's what they wanted and put the, the rest of the bar back and it's funny because those attitudes to food do come from restriction I tell a story quite regularly about me growing up and I had a friend whose family were all slim and they had this one drawer that they called the biscuit drawer. And it had like Twixes and Fox's biscuits and hobnobs and all the rest of it in, in, in abundance. And anytime I went over there, I was in absolute heaven because these foods weren't available in abundance in my household. So I'd just be like scoffing them down like a fat kid in a candy store. And it became a running joke in his family that if I was coming around, the mum was like, oh, we better stock the biscuit drawer then. Johnny's coming around. <laughs> but anyway... I thought, I thought you said they beliefs. were gonna. I thought you said they were gonna hide it. They're gonna better lock the door, no, no, get no. the padlock out. <laughs> like, 
we, we better stock it up because Johnny's coming. They didn't they didn't hide it. They loved it. They they always find it super funny. Like I used to be the guy that would go around and like finish people's you know meals and stuff. And I, I you know I just had a shocking relationship with food for a long time. And with my clients, yeah, challenging those those thoughts about their bodies or their relationships to food is key, and getting them to reframe it themselves. Because then the more that they can catch that negative self-talk in their day-to-day lives and reframe it in that moment, then they're going to be much more confident about their ability to follow through with something new. That's Yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, not much more to add to that, I suppose. It's obviously just feeling that's just a really cool angle to look at it from. And I think the restriction comment is just going to be so key to individuals. I hope some people that, you know, if you are struggling with kind of food relationships, your weight, diet, and just have a, a bit of introspection or reflection and think about that. Because I think we do talk about it a fair amount, but that kind of restriction and kind of forbidden fruit type effect that you kind of see from restriction is a big thing for a lot of people, I think. So, yeah. Um, we're coming up to nearly 50 minutes, mate. So um, I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to talk about that we haven't, I guess... I think there's been loads there um, for people. That I, I guess the journey itself was really interesting. I mean, I don't know, perhaps just a little bit more about, because I don't think you quite touched on as much about your personal values in terms of a bit more detail about what they are. Um, I think you spoke a bit about why they change, but I'd be interested to know kind of like what, how would you define your values? And I think we, before the podcast, I kind of mentioned about how Johnny and I, um, and Johnny and I had had a bit of a, a difficult time almost demonstrating our, or describing or talking about our values in the Nick and Tanya's co- content writing course that we did. And um, mm-hmm. I'd be interested to know what your views are in terms of your experience of kind of thinking about your values and whether you found it difficult or... I think one of the values that came out for me, because I've done values ordering a few times with different therapists and also then in, in, in this course that I've done as well, it's like, and and people always come up with like, you know, like integrity and honesty and all the rest of it, but like, two of them were definitely one of them was um compassion for other people and then that led me to really evaluate the way that i was coaching because i was like is is my style of coaching truly compassionate because am i actually honoring people's autonomy and am i actually honoring um people's where they're at now am i meeting them where they're at and helping them to get results because that was another one was I, I genuinely wanted to help other people get results and I noticed a, a big mix in my results with clients and that compassion tool led me to start thinking well if I'm getting clients in the door and then I'm like great okay yeah I know what you need to do you need to follow these macros and here's your tracking spreadsheet and this is what we're going to do it's like yeah it's not really being very compassionate to that person's lifestyle at all like I'm just hoping that they'll just fit my coaching style and that's going to happen for a few people, but not everyone. So that the biggest value for me was that sake of compassion of saying, okay, how can I make this much more client-centered? And how can I equip my coaching with more tools in the toolbox that for people who come in? And the book, Motivational Interviewing in Nutrition and Fitness, was key to this as well. Like, How can I adapt my consultation practices to actually listen to my clients, let them know that I've heard them, and then help them start to create more action steps for their goals. Cause it's not my, they're not my goals. And I, I don't know what life they live. Like they might not have time to exercise. They might not have time to prep food. They, you know, people do have a lot to do within their lives that we can't judge and they're going to have different priorities than I do. And so it's about 
listening to them and helping them come up with the best action steps for their lives and that's why I think um internal regulation and skill-based eating with guidelines works really well for people because then it's a case of how they can fit that into their lives rather than trying to do something that really just doesn't fit at all love that mate love that i think um you're one of a few small groups of people within the industry i think that are kind of not you know without sounding not sounding too wanky about it, a kind of a bit of a shining light in terms of having a, a, a what I see is a really holistic, and we took a, talked about that word, but I can't think of a better word, um, holistic <laughs> view on stuff. And I think there's just there's not enough good coaches out there that that do have that view and realise that there's there's a lot more to kind of coaching and a lot more kind of to being a nutritionist um, than giving out macros or kind of just you know weekly check-ins and that type of stuff. I think obviously having these kind of more holistic views is really, really key. I think we'll just have the most effect and just kind of have the biggest impact on, you know, the, the whole, the whole problem that we're, we're suffering. So yeah, good work. Well, yeah, well, thank, yeah, thank you, mate. I appreciate the, the platform to come on and talk to you guys about it. And obviously you guys share a lot of the same values, which is great. So hopefully we can, we can spread the message far and wide. Indeed. Um, do you want to shout out, Give it goes if people want to um, contact you, check out your socials, that type of stuff. If anyone wants to work with you after loving what you're you're talking about, then floor's yours. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I mean, the best place to find um, me content-wise would be on Instagram, and my Instagram handle is at Johnny Landles, which is J O N N Y L A N D E L S. I'm sure Brett, you'll put it in the description. Yeah. My my company's Next Step Nutrition, so if you look up nextstepnutrition.co.uk. I'll have the link there to the blog and the podcast. Uh, and that, that's pretty much all you need to know in terms of following me. But they're the best places. Excellent. Thank you, mate. Appreciate you coming on again. And uh, I'm sure it will still, again, won't be the last. Um, maybe we'll get you on another five years if we're still going and see what the, the next stage of the evolution is. So see what's changing. Who knows? We're all, in the meta, we're all eating in the metaverse about in to, cafes like this. Yeah, so. I was going to say, it'll be some sort of IV drip because we're obviously all. I don't be fair, I don't know anything about the net. I just keep thinking it's like Matrix. <laughs> we're, all, yeah. we're all gonna be stuck somewhere generating energy for aliens, but um Yeah, yeah pretty probably. much. Um cool, good. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. And uh I'll yeah, we'll definitely get you on again too. Thanks, lads. Thank you for listening to the NNN podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please help us by rating on your podcast provider, sharing with your networks so we can get our content out to more people. See you next week. Thank you.